Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 244, recorded August 7th, 2016. So today we're finishing off some DS9 Fool's Gold. And we're starting off a new series called Ghosts I, uh, with the Next Generation cast. Right. Which is great seeing the Next Generation cast again. It's just that so far the, the story's a little bit dense. A little slow. Yeah, it's a five-parter, and usually IDW keeps everything down to four-parters, so uh, I'm really hoping it picks up these last three issues, because the, the first two are a lot of setup. Yeah, yep, indeed. But uh, but Fool's Gold ended, and it was good. Um, I really realized over the last two weeks how much I miss non-Taz uh, Star Trek. Hmm. Is that bad? I mean, just because we've been in Taz, because that's all we have left, really. Right. And uh, it's just refreshing to, like, oh, that's right, I love these Deep Space Nine characters, and then I love the Next Generation characters. And then my wife and I have uh, vowed to go ahead and finish off Voyager, because we always, like, start it, and then we'll quit halfway through a season or something. Uh, But we only have two more seasons left, so we're going to plow through it, but... Even watching those, I'm like, I love these characters. I can't wait to do another Voyager comic book. And then I'm like, oh, oh there finished, are none. <laughs> finished all the Voyager comics. Yeah. So a little sad. And, th- and then after today, we'll finish all the Deep Space Nine comic books. So we only have Taz left along with uh, just a few Next Generation. No, Isn't I think we something? might, we might even be finished. No, we have uh, at least one more Next Generation yeah. miniseries. Yeah. Then we uh, Intelligence Gathering or something at least. Right. Yep, sad. That's interesting. It kind of underscores the idea that we're actually making progress. <laughs> yeah, we're getting towards through the, the mountain, through the mountain of, of fine books, which we have pledged to review every one. That's true. That is part of our mission statement. Exactly. So, shall so we? Anyways, yeah, you want to go ahead? Going? Jump into these. All right. So. You're doing the first one. I am. All right, so issue number four of Star Trek Deep Space Nine Fool's Gold came out on March of 2010. It was written by Scott and David Tipton, also known as the Tipton Brothers. Art is by Fabio Mantovani. Colors by Fabio Mantovani and David Amassi. Letters is Chris Moiri. And edits by Scott Dunbar. I guess there's actually three covers but really two of them are kind of the same. So the first one, which I guess is the main cover, just shows a Cardassian looking into a box of some sort with some green light glowing out of it. And then uh, the second cover is just a shot of Odo. It's a, it's a drawing. It's not a cover. It's not a photo cover. So it's a drawing of Odo. And then behind him we see um, some sort of logo. I couldn't quite place it. Did you know what that logo was for? Looked like a sword and uh not really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
That's behind Odo, and I have no idea. It's not a Bajoran one, so I don't know what that is. And then cover three is the same as cover two, so it's the Odo, um, but uh, this time it doesn't have the Deep Space Nine logo or the IDW logo on it. So the story starts with Garrick um, offering to help decipher the language that O'Brien has found throughout the station. He does so, and he exclaims that he might be on to something. Meanwhile, Quark meets with the two humans who were almost charged with assassinating Jake. He tells them that the map has been found, and that he needs them to get to the treasure before anybody else does. They agree, and after some haggling on what Quark's cut of the jewels will be, they are on their way. The duo travel to the planet, and they find a cave, and a huge treasure exactly where the map said it was going to be. Just as they are thinking about how to remove it all, Kira and other Bajoran officials arrive and congratulate the men for finding the stolen treasure. The Bajoran officer tells the men that they are going to be heroes, and later they're even provided with medals and a parade and everything else. It's a, it's a big hoopla. Back on the station, the crew watch the parades on the monitors. They talk about how they were able to get Quark to agree to passing on the fake data to the men, and on how O'Brien replicated the treasure, and how the Bajoran government agreed to go on with the scheme so that everybody thinks that the treasure has been found. Their plan works, and all the newcomers leave Deep Space Nine in droves. Goldicott contacts Cisco with more of their banter back and forth about how shocked the goal was or wasn't in regards to finding the treasure that may or may not have really ever existed. The following day, Bashir contacts Garrick about why the Cardassian missed their lunch appointment. Garrick insists that he had to leave the station for an urgent fabric sale. The doctor seems to buy the story and cuts the communication. But in reality, we see that Garrick is in a chamber of some sort, and he uses the unknown gifts from the panels to open a drawer, and he finds lots of precious gems. The end. Garrick, you crazy, crafty little fella. So he certainly was on to something when he was reading that panel, all the glyphs. Yeah, up to devious. Exactly. He just didn't tell everybody exactly how much he was really on to. Right. So, what? Where is he though? He looks like he's at a bank. I mean, because it looks well, like it's some sort of like safety deposit box almost. Yeah, but nobody's around. It. I. I thought it looked like some kind of a, a like a mausoleum or something where you put like ashes or something. It was not a buried treasure. <laughs> it was a building. No one was around though. So was it like a defunct building that was deserted? It I, had I don't know. Lights, so it has electricity of some sort. Yeah. I don't know. But if it was a bank or something, you'd think you'd see another person. But who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's self-service in the future. Right. Yeah, I was unclear as to exactly where he was. I mean, he's definitely not at a fabric store. I know that for sure. No. No. Not a fabric store. Yeah. So I I, I like the twist ending. Um, Right. Yeah. and, And the idea that they actually did what I thought could be a solution when I was reading it earlier. I thought that was, that's it. I mean, you got to get rid of these people. How are you going to get rid of these people? Well, fake the finding. Uh, Everybody thinks it's found and there's nothing to to get. So bye. Um, I think that made sense. 
I just think it's so clever <laughs> that Carrick uh, ends up with all the all the money. Okay, so even though he ends up being rich now, he still sticks around Deep Space Nine. Right. Yeah, I would have almost rather the treasure have been something else other than jewels and stuff because he he never shows that he ever has jewels or anything yeah. in the future. I mean, did he send them back to Cardassia Prime or what does he do with them? Well, we'll never know. Some things are left to the imagination. Right. I guess so. But I, I personally think he should take the money and put it in a... Uh, secret Swiss bank account and pick it up later when he retires. Right. To a very comfortable life. Or he could just retire now. I, I would retire then, then and there. But So I time mean, period, is this before the this is before the wars uh, with the founders? Mm-hmm, yeah. So he went through this, all that. I mean, that's yep. a, that was a lot of risk. Uh, and he was in the thick of things. But he had this treasure just sitting there ready to be picked up. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Which, which is why I kind of wish that it was something else other than literal treasure. Oh, you know, like if it maybe was... fortune cookie or something? that, Or just, you know, some other type of maybe like a, I don't know, like something that's, that means something to Garrick, but not necessarily have any monetary value outside of, of, of him, you know. Maybe. What if it really was some... Um, you know, Ryzerian silk or something like that. <laughs> Ryzerian silk from Ryza, right? <laughs> I don't know, or maybe information because that's 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 the kind of stuff that he's up. He's in Garrick likes. He likes yeah. to have information. Oh yeah. So when he says, "Ooh, I think I'm onto something," what did he actually tell them? Ooh, I'm really onto something, but I think we should fake the finding. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because he makes it sound like he actually is able to read the thing. So he must have said, well, obviously he did not say he found it. So he must right. have said something to to uh, say it's a dead end. Um, it's not what you think it is. It, it is just some kind of manufacturing whatever, instructions right. whatever. So, and I'm and I'm pretty sure they distrust Garrick enough that whatever he told them, they would have tried to prove. You know, if he did say that it was some sort of manufacturing stamp on the bulkheads, then they would have gone back and tried to decipher it with, you know, have him help them decipher it and and prove that that is what it says. Mm -hmm. Could be because Cisco doesn't trust Garrick farther than he could throw him. Well, um. In, in most stories like this, usually the good guys are smart enough to be, as you say, um, distrustful and just, just to be certain what's going on. But no, right after all this happens, Garrick goes off station to Bajor. And I assume he's in Bajor. Yeah, he's in Bajor, right? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I would think that they might, especially Odo. Odo's a distrustful guy. You know, have somebody follow him or something. Right. No, that is that did not appear to happen. At least they didn't show it to us. Did not happen. So he got clean away. Exactly. Egg on Cisco's face, but he doesn't know it. He'll never know that he has that egg. Exactly. It's just going to sit there. It's embarrassing. It's like invisible egg that only you can see if you had some sort of Zor energy around your face. Oh, Zor energy. Okay. 
<laughs> a little, little sneak preview of the next story. Another interesting thing about this book had nothing to do with the story. At the end of the book, there's a little full-page ad for the 2009 movie. Uh, Star Trek 2009 well, movie book adaptation. Yeah, right. And I'm kind of interested in the fact that it appears that it's Chris Hemsworth slash George Kirk's face on the ad and not Chris Pine. I thought that was odd. So you've never read that one? Uh, no. No, no, I've not, I've not read that one. I think I did. I, I did read the the first couple issues. Okay. So, but yeah, the first issue is is all about the Kel- the Kelvin blowing up and his sacrifice and things like that. Right. Still interesting that they chose him for that. Right. But okay, so did they expand on the original story, or did they just pretty much do it by the numbers? Like what we saw in the in the movie is pretty much what you saw in the book. Right. Well, from from the the ad here, it says that it has exclusive deleted scenes, but uh, I I don't remember. I, I didn't read far enough that I remember any deleted okay. scenes. Okay. So they didn't expand on the story though to make a longer series. They just mm-hmm. had like three issues and pretty much more or less what you saw in the in the movie. As far as I know, I don't know. Like I said, I only read like the first two issues, and I don't remember anything jumping out at me as being different. Okay. The issues came out before Thor came out, so I don't think Hemsworth was that known at the time these books came out. So, right, was interesting. Well, I think that's just the cover of issue number one. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying, if you're going to sell something on newsstands, you know, sometimes. You know, you're going to have Kirk and Spock's face on it. Right. It is six issues long, so I guess... Oh, six issues. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't cut anything out, and they added a little, probably. That's what it says. I, like I said, I don't remember... Yeah. I remember reading it up to past uh, when Spock has his confrontation with the other Vulcans. You know, the whole, uh, you've tried to get an emotional response out of me X amount of times. and Right. And then I'm going to start wailing on you. That scene. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I don't know what issue that was in, either issue one or two, but I don't remember anything after that. So like I said, I, did, I didn't read them all. I can't, I can't tell you what was added or not. Okay. But maybe we should review it. <sighs> well, we're going to review it eventually. There you go. There you go. So did Ducat actually spread this rumor or not about the gold? I don't know. But if he did, then then he should have had someone in there trying to get find it too. Or do you think? Because you know, you know, Garrett's not working for Goldcott. They hate each other. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or is this just a normal, naturally occurring rumor? Because there really was a treasure, right? So did no one spread it? Because it's uh, the truth. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. My my leaning is that it was just a. A real rumor that Goldcott had nothing to do with, and he maybe he wasn't even sure if it was true or not. Right, but and I'm sure was, you heard about it. Yeah, before and, Cisco called him, and then he's always calling, and his like I, I don't know anything, but maybe I do. Uh-huh. Kind of conversation was just him trying to uh, fish information out of Cisco. Right, that's the way I took it, at least. Yeah. You? What do you think? Um, I don't think he was behind it. No. But 
that's good. I mean, they don't tell you everything, so you can make up your own mind on some details. Right? So, the same artist did all the books. Right? However, I get the distinct feeling, and now I haven't gone back and compared issue to issue, but I thought the first issue had noticeably better artwork than the last. Um, and it's just... I, you know, if I really took a look at them, compared them, maybe I would be wrong about that. But I had a distinct impression the quality of the art got lower and lower as the issues went on. Hmm. Uh, to the point that, oh, God, O'Brien looks terrible towards the end of this particular issue. <laughs> yeah, poor O'Brien. He never can cut a break. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, in Ghosts, that we'll get to later... Where, of course, he's still on, on the Enterprise back then. Um, there's one shot with him, and he looks pretty good. But definitely Fabio did not do the best work on him <laughs> in this particular issue, in my opinion. Yeah, in this one, he, it's always low angles, and he looks almost like a thug kind of character. Yeah, thug, yeah. You know, it's the kind of guy that you would see walking around with a lead pipe. Yeah, <laughs> take you right. out. I'm gonna take you out, man, and then I'll transport you. <laughs> I thought that. Um, I mean, in regards to the artwork, I thought that Kira really let her hair down or whatever during the parade scenes. Or, or is that not supposed to be here? I don't know. I thought it was, but her hair is kind of long. Maybe it's not her. Maybe it's not her because her hair isn't long in this issue. But there's a woman that's wearing her outfit and looks kind of like her in the face uh, with, with them during the parade scene. And it looks like Kira, but with a little bit longer hair. See what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm looking for that. Um, but I know there are other scenes with Kira. Oh yeah, there she is. Okay. No, that's not Kira. Is it not? No. Okay. Her hair is really, uh, really like out there, almost like a cat's hair. Interesting yeah, hairstyle. With a little bit of a, a mullet going on in the back? Yes, exactly. Yes. You know, the, okay. the end of that mullet's almost to the middle of her back. Yeah, that's not Kira. Okay. Kira's yeah. got the... Kira has kind of similar hair, but uh, not as long. And it's it's kind of like... Uh, oh, what was that? Th- Thundercats? Oh, yeah. Where, Chitara? Where, I don't know the names. But but how the hair is like like going straight back, like it's in a wind machine or something. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Thundercats, man, you are going old school. I'm going old school. I you know, actually, I watch more Thundercats than any of this He-Man crap. Really? Yes. Thunder- and I and I know which one was more popular, but whatever. Well, anyway. I had Thunder- Thundercats was a better animation style. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's funny. Back to this. All right, yes, back to this. So, um, really, other than saying, again, he's drawing Kira very voluptuously, uh, that's really the last thing I have to say about this issue. I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I liked the story. And uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I still just don't believe that they, I mean, the guys should have known something was up. When... Oh, with Garrick. No, I'm talking about the 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 two dummies that they get to actually oh, go guys. find the 
the treasure because I mean it was they, a total setup. They shot the captain's son. Yeah. Whether it was an accident or not, who cares? You disar you discharged your weapon inside of the station. You shouldn't be getting out scot free. And then as soon as they get out, Odo's like, Psst, "Come here." I mean, not Odo, Quark. Yeah. Come here. I found the real map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just uh, too many coincidences. They they can't be that dumb to be like, well. We well, even if them. they suspect something, what are they going to say? Who are they going to say it to? I don't know. But anyways. They, came, thought... out, they came out to be heroes. They even got some money, right? Did they? I, I think they even, I think they even gave them a, a little prize or something. You know, thanks for playing our game. And uh, a little consolation prize. <sighs> so it's like, hey, you got some money. Your heroes, whatever you found the treasure. Now you can brag about. There's a story you can tell for the next, uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear that they got any treasure, but uh, I know that they got a medal. Why do you say treasure or reward? Reward. I think they got a little monetary reward. Should have just given them some of that replicated gold <sighs> and jewels. So my my thing is is that. Is replicated gold and jewels not as good as regular gold and jewels? I know, exactly. Well, b- back in Taw's days, they were talking about, in Cat's Paw, uh, you know, my engineer can produce baubles like this all you want. I this has no value to us. Right. So, exactly. Why, why should all this stuff have value? And they say that the uh, communicator that everybody wears is made out of gold uh, in uh, the oh, one where... Right. Data goes back into the Wild West. Right, right. So, uh, I mean, is it not real gold? Replicated gold is not as good as regular gold? I don't understand. I don't think so. I don't think so. Hmm. Whatever. It's one of those details you don't... We're not gloss over. Exactly. Exactly. Let's not think too much about this. Cubic zirconia. Ah, yes. So, anyways, uh, overall, I enjoyed this this four-parter. It was good. Good. Little... Like a like a sitcom, or not sitcom, but a situation type uh, TV show mystery murder uh, police drama kind of with the the interrogation a police scene. procedural, good yeah. cop bad cop. That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah, and they had a little bit of that in there. So I don't know how to cla- cla- uh, categorize this next one yet. Ghosts, it's right. It's a different beast altogether. Oh, very much so. The uh, techno babble is flowing easily in this one, and there's a lot of detail, and there's a lot of, you know, they're not dumbing it down for the audience, which is something I kind of, I always liked about Next Gen, but they're really putting a rather detailed story together here. Right. All right, shall we jump into that one then? Let's do. Okay, so this is issue number one of Ghosts. Published date is November 2009. Writer is Xander Cannon. Art, Javier Aranda. Inks by German Torres Ruiz. Colors by John Hunt. Letterer, Robbie Robbins. Editor, Scott Dunbuyer. Covers by Joe Coroni. Covers. The regular cover presents a nice, if generic, TNG cover that features a very large Picard head with a much smaller Dr. Crusher head with flowing red hair to the left and the Enterprise D below her. Data and Riker are in the lower right-hand quadrant firing phasers at an unseen threat. 
a blue, green, and white planet is presented in the lower left corner. Text at the top tells us it's a TNG book titled Ghosts, and the IDW light bulb logo is in the upper left corner. The second cover is the retailer incentive, quote, virgin cover. And it's the same as the regular cover, but with no title and IDW logo. Picard's log tells us the Enterprise D has arrived at planet Alios 4 to answer a low power distress signal from a ship in geosynchronous orbit over the nation of Daroche. The ship's markings identify it as belonging to Daroche's bitter rival, the nation of Julette who happens to be an ally of the Federation. Picard recognizes the political ramifications of the ship and where it is currently located, but opens a channel to the Republic of Julette's capital. Dar Kejal takes the call. In response to being told of their ship's distress beacon, the Speaker of the Republic's ruling council says not to worry about it. They have scheduled a shuttle to meet up with the ship and properly deal with its data in a week's time. Riker points out there is a life form aboard the ship. Picard cuts in and diplomatically says they will investigate the distressed ship and, if appropriate, circumstances dictate return the survivor. The speaker is not happy with them getting involved, but agrees and reminds Picard of the standing invitation for Federation personnel to visit and tour the charms of Julette. The channel is closed, and Riker is told to form an away team. In response to a query from Picard, Data reports, Elios's application to the Federation has been waitlisted for 11 years. Reasons given is their ongoing civil war. Juliet denies its existence and claims they speak for the entire planet. Riker, Dr. Crusher, and Geordi beam over to the Juliet ship and find one Juliet survivor that sounds delirious and is seated in a puddle of his own blood. He has limbs apparently blown off, and is mumbling something about him killing people, but they won't leave him alone. Dr. Crusher and the Gillette survivor beam directly to sickbay. Geordi stays on board to find evidence of the explosion that injured the survivor. On the bridge, Troy suddenly feels intense pain, then is called to sickbay. She heads down as Worf opens up a comm channel to a weak signal from the nation of DeRoche. The caller threatens to destroy the Enterprise if it does not identify itself. Worf and Picard surmise that they have never seen a starship before. Picard identifies himself, the ship, and that they represent the United Federation of Planets. After stating their rescue mission, the originally threatening tone of the caller mellows out somewhat. He says he never heard of the Federation. He claims to be the last member of the group of elders that govern the Daroche nation. He says the Julitans have a ship above his nation and calls them murderers. He closes the channel after saying he will speak no further on this broadcast shouting machine and will only speak in the tower, which is the only place to discuss war or peace. Data informs Picard that the tower is a structure on the border between the two nations, previously used for talks between the two nations. It has not been used for 11 years. Picard adds 
when Juliet turned in their application for Federation membership. Scene shifts to the Juliet ship in orbit. Geordi completes his examination of the ship and finds no evidence of the explosion that killed two crewmen and maimed a third. He comes to the conclusion the only way they will find out what happened is through the sole survivor. After Geordi beams out, an odd green and blue sphere, approximately five feet across, visibly distorts when a white vortex briefly forms in front of it and promptly stops. On the Enterprise, Picard, Riker, Data, and Worf are preparing to transport to the tower. They discuss the almost certainty the Juletians have kept the Daroche completely in the dark about the membership application. At the very least, Daroche has not been represented, but at the worst, assassination? Riker reports the survivor's physical injuries are stable and improving, but mentally he appears deranged. He thinks he sees ghosts, and is terrifying him. In the tower, Picard is speaking with the Julian speaker, who claims the Daroche have not had a functioning government for years. A new voice speaks and says, Lies! It is the Daroche named Kalkas, who claims to be the last living elder of his government. They trade some harsh words, but Picard... The diplomat is able to get them to settle down somewhat and talk. The Juletians make moves to reconciliation, but the Daroche stick to their aggressive, uncompromising stance. The bickering goes on until the Daroche come out and accuse the Julet and their ship of assassinating Daroche government leaders. Riker says the away team saw no weapons, but there are viewports with a complex array of lenses. The Joulet leader explains that is for surveillance. They are not weapons. With no proof of the ship being armed, Picard refuses to remove the Juletan ship as the Daroche demand. They adjourn for the evening, and Picard deploys Worf and Data to stay with each side's leaders to act as a liaison and observer. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher and Troy discover that there is a strange glowing energy at the site of the survivor's wounds and the tissue in that area is still alive as if there was no trauma to it at all. The survivor wakes up and is a bit calmer, but he still thinks he is seeing others. His shipmates? He is fearful of whatever he is seeing. Beverly goes down to engineering to see if Geordi has any insight what the energy is. After some on-the-fly computer-based research, Jordy figures out the mysterious energy is likely Zor energy. Jordy says he will adjust some of the tricorders and the ship's sensors to pick it up. Dr. Crusher leaves and meets the captain in sickbay, who is there to talk to the survivor, whose name is Everud. Picard hopes to have more information going into tomorrow's mind-numbing negotiation session. As they enter the doctor, finishes telling Picard that the exotic energies involved in the survivor's wounds could be caused by a localized dimensional shift. Technobabble alert. The ghosts Everud says he sees may in fact be real. Picard and Dr. Crusher approaches the patient's bed as Deanna is asking Everud if he recognizes the ghosts. A friend, perhaps? He says no, but when Picard walks up, he gets agitated and recognizes Picard. 
He is one of the ghosts that won't leave him alone. Da -da -da! To be continued. Exciting. <sighs> yeah, a very wordy comic. Right. Yeah, so, uh, so Picard's a ghost. Picard's a ghost. So, yes, the plot thickens. How could Picard be a ghost? How could this survivor see Picard? Is he two places at once? What's going on? Is there some temporal thing going on? Is Picard dead in the future and somehow coming back in a ghost form into the past? You know what I think it is? I think I figured it out. What? The ghost is literally a ghost. It's a dead person from the past, which was the original Shizan. So the Shizan we saw oh, in Nemesis God. was really the second clone. Oh, you following gosh, me here? Wow. You following me here? It it all makes sense. It's all tied together. So there was a second clone, and he died, but now he's somehow here. The second uh, clone. It's all perfect. The second clone named Hezon. Yeah, Hezon. He's on the. He's on the Shizan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a good cliffhanger that, uh, you know, what, what's he talking about? It, yeah, but, but great, I am really confused to as to, uh, what's going on with this guy. His guts are hanging out yet. They're not exactly. <laughs> so he's got one leg beneath the knee or above the knee. Well, anyway, one leg appears gone. Right. And then one, one arm. arm Yep. And then his guts appear like it's one of those uh, plastic anatomy statues right? that see through. Um, and then there's one shot, which I'm assuming is just probably uh, a bad angle or, or whatever, but it actually looks like his very unique looking guts are kind of actually protruding higher than the rest of his skin. And then no. on the other, all the other sides, all the other times, it looks like it's... As if there was a clear skin there, but uh, but right. there's one shot where it looks like it's kind of poking out, and uh, yeah. it's pretty graphic. Yeah. That's kind of gross. But I did like how they uh, she's finding some cells that are actually cut in half too. So uh, what's going on there? Yeah. So they're they're scanning at like the molecular level or something, and they do show like chopped uh, cells that are like like oval little blood cells or something that are chopped. So so they keep on harping on this later too, but what it sounds like they're saying is that his body is intact, it's just dimensionally dimensionally shifted. So like when that thing happened to Jordy kind of thing? Oh, where he was phased out? Yeah, exactly. He was, he was phased out, so he could see everybody, but nobody could see him. Right. I didn't know how that worked. But is it something like that? Like part of his... So he is intact, the survivor. But part of his body is just phased out of uh, our dimension. So they keep showing like the bone and stuff in the arm stump. Yeah. Um, if she tried to touch the bone, would the arm that's still there but not seen stop her from actually touching the bone? Or which I don't know how it still touch the bone. I don't know how it works either. It doesn't no. make sense. It's not. It's not obvious. No. Nope. Not one bit. And as far as the blood goes, I mean, is it still circulating into the phantom bone, the phantom arm, or do we know that yet? I don't know. It, Am I jumping the gun a little bit? I don't. You're know. jumping the gun a little bit. All right. Because well, I got a, I got a comment on the next one. 
All right, well, hold off there. Where they talk about this more. So, okay. It's a big mystery. It's a big mystery. And a big confusing mess. <laughs> ah! <laughs> well, here's another confusing mess. Why do these Darosh guys, uh, are, why are these Darosh guys that much into Magneto helmets? Tell me that. Um, I didn't think they looked like Magneto had helmets, but sure. Come on, I look at them. They do, yeah, with horns. Right, yeah. Well, look at look at their heads. These guys' heads have these big lobes coming out the side. They look like almost like Mickey Mouse ears. But look at that. Look at that helmet. Except for the except for the Mickey Mouse ears, that looks like a Magneto helmet. Yeah. yeah. Or a gladiator a gladiator helmet. I mean, uh, I don't think Magneto was the first one to sport that type of helmet. Well, uh, in the last thousand years, you're probably uh, right you go back far enough so anyways yeah it's an interesting looking helmet yeah but what i want to know is <clears throat> all right so we have two civilizations on this planet right yes it's a big planet it's a normal sized planet where right? we we got to assume it's it's a normal sized planet mm -hmm. they live right on top of each other so right next to like, each other in the Same city continent. it's like one city and then they have literally like a berlin wall type thing Right. And one side, it's all prosperous skyscrapers, hover cars, probably, you know, all, the whole bit. Right. And then on the other side, you know, dirt hovels and, you know, people cooking their food on bonfires and, and, and stuff like that. So they're not separated by more than just the wall. That I, I, seems a little. Yeah, it's, it's unlikely. Odd. Yeah. Well, they're, they're simplifying things. I mean, why is there only two nations? I mean, we got tons of nations in this world, um, and they're separated by different continents that are separated by water. Right. They're just making it simple, simplifying it. And that's about the only thing they're making simple, because the rest of the book is pretty complicated. <laughs> right. So, so, so anyways. So Worf went with the DeRoche people. Right. And then I guess Data went... Uh, with the Julians. Do they say that? They don't come out and say that. They just said they deploy them. Okay. Because when I was reading the second book, I was wondering where the heck Data was. Yeah, he's with... Well, you remember in this issue, they were saying... Picard makes a, a comment saying he deployed the uh, Data and Worf. Okay, I couldn't remember. Liaisons. I couldn't remember that Data was, was included. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And I suppose eventually when we get to the third or fourth issue, we'll, we'll see a little bit of what happened on the Julian side. But yeah, so we'll see more of that in the next spoiler one. Spoiler alert, Data is not in the next issue. No, <laughs> you're correct about that. All right. Thanks for reminding me. Oh, no problem. So okay, so... Art style. Oh, sorry. No, I just, I just wanted to comment that uh, this is a complex enough book Um that this is exactly the kind of story probably uh, Chris Pine says they can't make into a modern-day movie. Too much complexity, not enough action. Uh, there's not much action at all, quite frankly. It's not just a lot of people talking. Right. Yeah, we get a little bit more action towards the very end of the next issue, but even then. Um, well, I, I would hope that that's not the case, that, that we literally can't make another Star Trek movie like this. But, uh, but I, well, I, this is, this is the kind of story he's talking about. Yeah. Hopefully not like this, exactly like this one, but it would be nice to have something with a low body count 
like a la Star Trek Four or something, with a little bit of humor and a heart, right? As opposed to constant pulse pounding action, action, action. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope the next Enterprise lasts more than <laughs> one movie before it's completely almost destroyed. Yeah. Well, to your point, if they really are redoing all the Taws movies, the next movie should be. It's the fourth movie, so it should be something more in alignment with uh, Voyage Home. Yeah, preferably with... If that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, if it's what they're doing. But that was a very good point when you made that. Um, I can't remember if I made it on the episode or not, so... I don't remember either. Why don't you tell it, though? All right, so... At the risk of repeating yourself. In a nutshell, what I was saying is that all the, the new Star Trek movies have somewhat mirrored the original Star Trek movies, so... Uh, and this is spoiler if you haven't seen the uh, I now beyond. Well, yeah, this is by the time we release this, it's going to be Blu-ray by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the first movie uh, in in the original series, uh, a uh, ship from the past that was augmented by maybe the Borg came to Earth to destroy it, um, and that's Viger. And then the new one. Uh, a ship from the future that was augmented by the Borg came from the future and tried to destroy Earth, which was Nero's ship. Right. And then second one was both the Wrath of Khan. And then the third one, uh, it was, um, well, for one, the Enterprise bites it in both of them. Yep. And, uh, and that was about the, uh, the the extent of the similarities on that one. I right. Think. I mean, instead of the Klingons doing it, being involved with the big baddies... We have um, Kroll, 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 whatever. Carl, Carl, a Dyrus, a Alba. Anyway, right. So that's so, that's it's very good. I, I had not seen that pattern. And it's it's a loose a loose. Uh, it's loose, but still. But but it just seemed odd that they they lined up even that well. Exactly. So we'll see. This could be predictive. We'll see. I mean, they already had a lot of. Humor and, and interaction, uh, character interaction in this in this movie, despite all the action going on. So we'll see what they do in the next one. Right, I'm hoping for whales. There'll be whales here, Captain. All right. Or it would be cool if they go back in time to the Discovery uh, timeline and then have to save the whales from Discovery. There. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little synergy action going on. Yeah. You know, okay, I just want to say this about Discovery, because I don't want to get taken too far off. We still have another issue to to get to. Sure. But I'm very interested with some of the theories that are out there about that new ship. And it bugs me that they had that preview that came out of Comic-Con, short little video, and we saw the Discovery ship the first time. Did did you replay it and hear the Klingon sound to the music? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so because I – okay, so maybe that's just trying to tell you, hey, we got Klingons in the show. I don't know, but does it have something to do with the ship? I don't know. Right, or it just could just be a coincidence. It could be a coincidence, but they're doing so many other things in that short video clip to kind of tell you things. Right. Indirectly. So, you know, showing the registry number, that tells us a lot. Um, It doesn't, though. Why doesn't it? 
Well, I one, think it does. Oh, well, okay. in St- Star Trek Beyond, let's not overthink this. In Star Trek Beyond, the Franklin was NX three two three or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yes. Which we thought, well, that must mean it comes after the NX zero one, right? Numerically speaking, but they also say it was the first ship to go warp four point two or four point five, whatever. Yeah. Well, NX zero one was the first warp five ship, so it throws it all out of out of whack. Well, and you're overthinking it, I think. <laughs> I I I think they're pr- purposely telling us, and I think it's accurate that it's um, post Enterprise and pre Taws. That's my guess. Yes. Yeah. I mean, let's not over over a- analyze this. But I'm just I, I do I do agree with your point there about the numbering being confusing on the Franklin. I think that was quite confusing. Right. Anyway. But anyways, uh, I, I'm excited for it, and I, I hope that uh, I hope that it looks good. Uh, what what annoyed me about that little opening was that they went then went back and said that's not the final design of the ship. So right. we're all like, oh, it looks like this one from the from the Star Trek the motion picture concept art, blah 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 blah. And then that might not even be what it really ends up looking there. They might, you know, who knows how much they're going to change it, but by the time it actually gets released, right in January. And I hope they do because I'm, you know, uh, I, I, you know, like I said before, I'm not that crazy about the design, but it'll it'll grow on me, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, and let me say one last thing before we get back to this, <laughs> these issues. <laughs> um, as long as you forget about the warp thing, the warp, you know, the the whole how fast the ship is or whatever. If you discount that, then the number, the number makes more sense. Or starts sure. to make more sense. Because as uh, the character, Krull, was saying, he went through the Zindi War. He went through um, the, Earth the, Romulan the, War. the Romulan War. Exactly. So that's later in time. And that would have a higher number. So it would, it's, a, it's a newer ship than the, the NX-01. Uh, or at least a higher number. No, it's a, it's a newer ship. You would think, yeah. You would think. So if you don't worry about the warp whatever... Um, and by the way, this is not, this is <laughs> your favorite thing. Adiris Elbin, what he did, that all happened before, um, what's his name came back? Uh, Nero. Right. So it should be the same as the original TV continuity. Should be. Should be. Anyway. Ah, oh, just fascinating. Heh <laughs> I like Star Trek. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Back to this issue. Um, We're talking about issue one of Ghosts. Just in case people forgot. Um, When they find the uh, the poor guy, the the pilot, whatever he is, uh, leaned up against that sphere there in the ship. Yeah. um, He is sitting in a pool of blood, and we do see what looks like parts coming out of him. Yep. So if he really is yep. somehow all contained, where did this blood come from? And why does it look like this stuff's hanging over his pants and Agreed. sitting on the ground? And and they're going to talk about this more in the next issue, uh, where Crusher is filling out her theory and everything. Um, but yes, that's I exactly made the same comment in the next issue. Okay, I, I completely agree with you. If okay. he is intact, then what the heck? How could he be in a pool of his own blood? Right. Yeah. And then my last question about this is when Jordy beams off the ship, 
we see that little sphere um, kind of morph a little bit. Right. So it's round, and then like little sparks come out, and it morphs to an oval-type shape, and then back to a sphere. Right. So uh, just did you have any theories as to what that was? Well, obviously that was, what, what do they call it, a MacGuffin? I mean, that, that's, that obviously is the piece of technology where the explosion came, quote, explosion came from, um, there's something going on inside that sphere. Right. Um, so why did it only do this after Jordy left? Jordy left. I don't know. Did the transporters trigger it? I don't know. Right. Probably so, not. Yeah, so, and, and now that I look at it, it, it's not just warping the sphere, it's also warping the, the walls and the floor and everything, yeah. too, so. Well, it's like a little white vortex forms in front of it. Right. And then the physical matter around is kind of distorted. Right. Right. Yeah, so at first I thought that, well, maybe this was somehow, you know, uh, maybe even creating like a, because it happens right when he's beaming, that I was thinking... You know, what if it's going to be like the Thomas Riker thing, where when you get <laughs> too close to it, it like creates a copy of you, and that's what uh, the ghosts were. Oh my god! That the ghosts were somehow, you know, uh, copies, uh, distorted copies, or something like that. That this this little sphere thing was making. But I mean, I, I'm just telling you what my sure thoughts were at the time. I well at this point don't know what it is. Well, my thought is, and this is a. Okay, since you're talking theories, I'm going to talk theories, but this is with a little bit of information for the next issue, too. Okay. But not that much. So, I think these people that supposedly were killed are living in a different dimension. I think whatever's inside the sphere put them in this other dimension. And the survivor is somehow, like, at a halfway point between our dimension and the other dimension. So, all those leaders of the Daroche. Um, uh, council or whatever they were called, mm-hmm. elders, got some council of elders. Um, I think they're all alive and kicking on the uh, in this other dimension. Interesting. So, but it had nothing to do with Jordy beaming close to it. I don't think so. Okay. I, I I don't know. I mean, when the first quote I got air quotes going accident happened, the Enterprise was nowhere near it or transported technology. So who knows? You know, okay. some, somehow these uh, these Julians or whatever have have tapped into some power they may not fully control. Right, and they'll go more into the next issue. But they're you, I I think they're using it uh, to assassinate um, the opposition to unify by force the uh, whole planet. Interesting. All right, well, let's talk about that after this next issue. Okay, sounds good. I have nothing else to say about this one. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, the next issue, Star Trek Next Generation Ghosts, came out. uh, This is issue number two. Came out December of 2009. All the writing and art staff is the same as issue number one, which Ken mentioned earlier, with the exception of inks. Uh, This time it's by Mark Ruda. Pretty sure that's an R. Yes. I think it's R also. Yeah, so Mark Ruda. All right, so the, uh, again, there's uh, two covers. Um, 
the first uh, the first one shows a ghostly Picard. Uh, this is a basically Picard with a blue aura around him, similar to what Obi Wan Kenobi had in Return of the Jedi. And he's standing above a man in a hospital with his with his hand outstretched. Uh, then the cover B is the Virgin cover, which is the same as the first, just without the title and the publisher's logo. So the story starts. Uh, <clears throat> so the story starts above the planet of Alos Four. Picard is recording his captain's log. His mediation between the tech-savvy Juliet and the traditionalist Daroche nation is not going very well. The Daroche fear that the ship that the Juliet have in orbit is a weapon, while the Juliet insists that it's only for surveillance. The injured Juliet pilot from the ship is still in the sickbay, where he recently claimed that Picard was one of the many ghosts that is haunting him. Troy joins Picard in his ready room once he finishes his log. She tries to assure him about the whole ghost thing, but Picard insists that he's not affected by the ravings of a madman. But Troy feels something different within the captain. Some dark feelings, it says. Meanwhile, in the Dorsh city, Worf is being given the tour by the last remaining elder, Calchas. The leader is showing him portraits of the other elders that have recently gone missing. The Doroche firmly believe that the Juliet are killing them off one by one. Calchas and his son have a disagreement, and Calchas leaves in a huff, and his son is left alone with Worf. The son talks about how backwards his father is. Worf tells him that a true warrior does not dishonor his father like that. The son smugly says, fathers eventually die. Back in sickbay, Jordy and Crusher are having a tough time explaining how the Juliet pilot is still alive. In reality, he's missing an arm and a leg, plus a huge section of skin around his torso. Yet, he's not bleeding, and his organs are not falling out. They find that there is Zor energy detect. They find that the Zor energy they detected earlier is actually keeping him whole. The parts he has missing are actually existing in a Zor energy dimension, for lack of a better word. They speculate that perhaps these ghosts are actually real, and they're just slightly out of phase with our existence, also within this Zor energy dimension. They wish they could talk to the pilot, but every time he's awake, he's so afraid of the ghosts that he cannot talk. Jordy then thinks that he can remove enough of the Zor energy to push back the ghosts. He also thinks that he can localize it to just, I guess, around the pilot's head so that he stops seeing the ghost, yet he does not uh, lose his arm or other body parts. Meanwhile, Riker returns to the Juliet ship since the aliens have arrived without their permission. He confronts the supervisor who is overseeing the repairs to the ship. The two have a long conversation, but this blue-skinned alien makes the point that the Federation has no proof that the Juliet people are responsible for the missing DeRoche leaders. He also describes that it is the special Zor ore that they recently found that has been giving them their power to make all the technological advances they have made in the last recent years. Back in sickbay, the Zor energy is pushed away from the pilot's head, yet not past his arm stump. The alien, whose name is Everund, tells Troy and Crusher that he's not seeing the ghosts anymore. Then, he's suddenly a little surprised when he does see one behind the two women. 
They turn to see the flesh and blood Picard standing there. He talks to Everend about the ghosts, and he tells him, and Everend tells him that Calchas is also one of the ghosts that's haunting him. Picard immediately contacts Worf to check on Calchas's whereabouts. Worf informs the captain that he was abandoned by both Calchas and his son quite some time ago. Once the conversation is over, Worf leaves the hut that he was in and is greeted by Calchas's son and a whole army of warriors. Calchas is now also missing, and they assume that the Klingon vaporized him with his phaser. Worf attempts to request beam out, but O'Brien is unable to lock on. Eventually, the Dorsh contact the Enterprise, and they demand that all ships, Federation and Juliet alike, be removed from the planet, or else the captive Worf will die. To be continued. Wow, this Warwick guy must think everybody places an awful lot of value on Worf's life. I mean, geez, really? You're going to try to get that much to happen that you want to happen and nobody else wants to happen by just threatening Worf's life? Huh. Uh, yep. 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 Yeah, so why would the Juliet ever agree to that? No, they wouldn't. <laughs> What's going to happen to the Federation guy? I don't care. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, um, yeah. So you so, still think you still think the Juliet are behind the the assassinations even after the way the the son was acting? Okay, I will admit that there is the possibility because okay, so this is kind of a good thing in the in this story because you've got a little mystery here. Really, who is doing what? So I will agree to the possibility that Warwick is engineering a lot of this stuff and he's smarter than he looks. I'll admit to that possibility, but how could he be doing any of this? I mean, does he have his own little chunk of this Zor or? I love saying that. Zor or. <laughs> so does he have his own little chunk of Zor or that he's been killing people with? Um, I, I think that's quite a coincidence that the surveillance ship happens to have this Zor or on the ship. In that containment chamber. I thought that's how they were powering the ship. I, I thought that he said that they were using that to power all their technology. And that's why they've been able to make so many advances recently. Well, I agree that completely that they said that it was driving their technological advances. I didn't get that it was the power source for the ship. Although I will admit that that's possible. That's what he meant. He said it was power. Well... You could mean it's you mean that figuratively too. Right. It's, it's the power that's driving our technology leaps. Right. But yeah, if it's if it is their cheap and easy power source that drives a lot of things, literally, uh, yeah, that could be too. So, considering how dangerous this Zor ore is and the advanced technology, at least relative to the Darosh, that the Julians have this this fancy chamber and everything that has to be perfectly working or else it destroys things like kill supposedly kills people i say put them into another dimension does the warwick really have the ability to control that with their backwards technology yeah or does warwick and his whoever from his society do they have the technology to control this thing this ore? 
I don't know. If one's able to figure it out, why couldn't the other one? Yeah. I definitely agree with you that this Warwick is uh, is smarter and probably more aggressively uh, wanting to move up in the world. Yeah, he's up to no good. Yeah. He's a bad seed. Well, he could have easily killed his father and completely pinned Worf on it. Or pinned it on Worf. Yeah. Right. Which I think is his biggest mistake. If he is behind all this, if he's been killing the elders so that he can take sole ownership of the, the nation, um, then you can't suddenly change who it is that's killing your, your people, right? So all along, it's been Juliet. Somehow they're doing it. Right. And then all of a sudden, oh, except for the last one who was killed by Worf, but it's almost the same way because they always get they always disappear without a trace. Right. Eh, don't buy that. That doesn't make sense. Well, well, what about this piece of evidence? When Warwick and Worf were pointing up at the sky, happened twice, two different panels, and you could magically see Enterprise, Enterprise. D <laughs> and the other ship, which is way up in orbit. And the other ship's tiny. Exactly. Well, compared to the Enterprise, yeah, exactly. And it is, you know, it's a little dot next to the Enterprise, but you can make out the Enterprise shape and everything which I call BS on that big time, but whatever. The yeah. first time they look at it, you see the dot and you see the Enterprise. The next time they look at it, when Worf is pointing to it, as opposed to Warwick, um, the little ship is a bright light. It's a bright source of light. And it's yeah. like, what? what What? are they trying to say? I mean, that it blew up? Uh, that there's a big reflection of the local star? against the ship and that's why it's blinding you well why why isn't it blinding off the enterprise too it's like right. what, what what does that mean and then you find out um Kalkas or whatever his name is uh is is now dead it's like okay that makes you think it was coming from the uh the julian ship mm. so I completely agree with the idea that I don't trust this Warwick as far as I can throw him, but it's like, are they, are they trying, is the writer slash artist trying to bait us down a, uh, an inaccurate path by showing the flash or is it what it appears the Warwick are killing people or right. not yeah. killing people, but shifting people into other dimensions and they probably don't know what's happening. People just disappear. Right. Left their boots this time, though. <laughs> Supposedly. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but what, uh, what Kalkas, he went, uh, he went to go to sleep. So he might have taken his boots off, you know, <laughs> when you're taking a nap. Right. Uh, yeah, good point. I, I didn't notice the lens flare or whatever that, that shiny thing is on the, um, the Juliet ship. Right. That's interesting. Um, another couple of things that they kind of threw out there that that might mean something is um, they don't have transporter technology, right? So, so uh, the Juliet guy on the on the sh on the ship that was talking to Riker, he was impressed with the uh, transporter technology. Yeah. And gee, I sure would like to have that. So that got me to thinking: what if they're trying to create transporter technology using the Zor ore? And that's 
what's kind of backfiring on them. That, uh, you know, they've used this Zor Ore to power all their other stuff. And then when they're trying to use it to create a transporter, it's transporting them into another dimension or something like that. Right. Um, and then, then I, you know, then I was trying to think of what if the, what if it's really the Daroche people that have got a hold of some of the Zor Ore and they're trying to weaponize it in some way and it's accidentally killing themselves kind of thing. That's possible. And maybe only the elders knew about it and that's why they're the ones that are getting zapped away. Yes, that is possible. Now, I would think it would be more the technolog- technicians and the scientists that would be more likely to be zapped than the leaders, but who knows? Who knows? Right. Yeah. Or, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it could be... Maybe they were trying to create a, a transporter to beam the, the... Maybe they really were trying to kidnap the elders, the Juliet people. And they're accidentally beaming them to another dimension. I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll find out soon next week. <laughs> yes, we will. So it, it's a complex slog to get through the, the, these books to some degree. But there's a nice little mystery. We really don't know what's going on. So that's good. Yeah. I'll be honest, uh, just personally, when I was reading the first issue, yeah. I, it was late, late at night. I was right. trying to read it, and uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't keep going. I had to actually stop, and I was just like, I don't know if this is just too much or I'm too tired or what. Because <laughs> I was just like, you know, I'm, it wasn't the, uh, you know, the fast-paced stories that, you know, you normally get from IDW, like with the ongoings and things like right. that. So I was just like, ah, this is just too much for me. Yeah, do these have an unusually large number of pages? No, normal-sized pages. Normal-sized pages. It just They're seems just longer. Dense pages. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think there was only like one splash page within these two issues, and it was when Worf was getting kidnapped. Right. So, yeah, uh, it, it's I'm enjoying it, but it did take a little while to, to build up. It took a while to give me enough information as to what was going on that mm-hmm. I could then easily follow what was going on. Right. Because uh, when it was just everybody, all these blue-skinned guys and... Okay, what, what, who is he working for? What, uh, which which nation is this guy? Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> but no, really good. I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah. So we uh, never did talk about artwork. What do you what do you think of the artwork? Um, I think the artwork, from a color standpoint, is very. It's eye candy. It's right. very. There's lots of shadows and, and and the colors are vibrant, oversaturated. Um, it's very pleasing to look at. I think the quality of the rendering of some of the people's faces is very a mixed, very much a mixed bag. I'm looking at a page right now where they're showing a full frontal shot of Jordy, and it looks pretty good. But on the same page, I also see Dr. Crusher. Doesn't look that good. But, uh, yeah, I, I think overall it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah I'm think? enjoying it. Uh, yeah, I think it looks good. Yeah. I do like the colors. I mean, they do they do pop for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody looks like who they're supposed to look like for the Pretty most part. I, I didn't – I'm trying to find this page where – I thought Troy looked a little off a time or two. She, but... looks, she looks off a few times. So does – I think uh, so does uh, Riker. Oh, he looks know. off a time or two. Now, I, I think I mentioned this before. Uh, I, I know I mentioned it before. There is one shot of O'Brien I think is pretty good in this issue. 
And uh, yeah, when he's trying to get beamed off. Exactly, which is the only time we see O'Brien. Uh, and, I, and I think that that shot of his face there is pretty good. Like, that's a pretty good depiction. Right. In regards to that page, what was distracting me was, uh, you know, the guy at Data Station, because I had forgotten that Data was also away, you know, because they didn't remind you at all in this issue that, right. that Data's not there. And so I'm reading this, and there's some, you know, he's a pale-skinned white guy. Uh, so it kind of looked like sometimes how they color data, but he had a little goatee, and then, or I couldn't tell if it was a goatee or just shadow, and so that was what I kept. I was like, I kept my eye kept going there, going, why, why they draw data so bad? <laughs> that doesn't look like data. Is that a, is that a beard or is that a shadow? Why, why does data look like that? <laughs> <laughs> because damn it, it's not data. Right, but yeah, you're right. O'Brien looks good there. Cool. All right. Uh, I think I've actually covered all my uh, bases. Uh, the only thing I want to say, the last thing is, I kind of like seeing the Stargazer in Picard's office, even though you only see part of it. And it's not a fantastic rendering, but you can pretty much tell it's the Stargazer. Right. Yeah, just the tail end. Right. And one side of it. Nice. All right. So since we've uh, since we kind of covered it last issue, just... Real quick again, now that we don't have to worry about spoilers. So his arm and leg and guts exist in another plane of existence. So even though he's moving around in that other plane of existence, his arm and legs moving around. So if he tried to walk, would he be able to walk because his leg is <laughs> there but not there? I don't think so. But who knows? This is who knows. It's all. And made could up she stuff. move her hand through the where the leg is supposed to be? Or would it get stopped? Or would it stop? I, I, I think she should. She should be able to do that. Because the leg is it, the leg is not physically there. Which is... Now, they, they, they show a diagnostic chart or something, or display, where they show it there and not there. So right. that's, that's, that's what you were referring to, right? right. So um, it's not in our dimension. So she should be able to pass her, her hand right through that. Now, why is... Blood not spewing everywhere. I'm still not 100% sure, but somehow the energy, the Zora energy that is there at the wounds is somehow bridging the gap between the two dimensions. I don't know. So as a blood cell travels from his heart to his fingers. Uh-huh. It's got to cross dimensions? Will it cross dimensions? Because <laughs> when she was looking at the, the blood in the slide, you know, those green green uh, blood cells yep. and some of them were cut in half and some of them weren't i was thinking oh that's cool because you know the the blood that was on one side or in the other of the wound when it happened would show up as being cut in half yeah. and i thought well that's actually really kind of cool and then i started thinking about it, i was like no that makes absolutely no sense because <laughs> blood flows and you know the the he should have blood interdimensional blood throughout his whole body and then the good blood in our dimension should just be spurting out. I, I don't know. Or at least it should show it flowing through the arm. I mean, if it's just invisible, we should still see. Well, you know, obviously what they're saying is somehow through this Zor energy, the blood is actually passing from our dimension into the leg, which is in the other dimension and passing back again. That must be what they're saying, which 
Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense. I agree. And uh, it shows, like on the monitor, it shows him whole. Yeah. And it's showing that, you know, this part of his leg is in the other dimension and this part of his arms in the other dimension. Right. And it shows his torso, which shows, you know, skin where his stomach would be. It, it's it's peach colored skin instead of blue colored skin. But let's just go with it that it's supposed to be skin. Right. Um, where's his shirt? You know, did did that rip in his shirt? not transfer over from the other dimension it's it's just gone see what i mean yeah yeah i I know what you're saying so that little v of shirt is it gone or is it also in the other dimension along with the skin all fine questions well the skin's in the other dimension yeah but but the shirt didn't make it the shirt on his arms made it that's that's fine i i understand your point i understand your point And this comes under the heading of, this is a story, and the writer wrote it, and there's some things you can't get perfect, so they go with what they got, and let suspended disbelief carry the day. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I have to wait a whole week to find out, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you know. Read ahead? Well, not read ahead, I'm just going to have to wonder about it. Okay. If you don't want to give me the answers right away, I'm going to have to get my own. That's how it works. Okay. That's how it works in my noggin. Gosh darn it. Anyway. Okay. Well, there you go. So that's uh, all I have to say about this one. I have one more thing. Yeah. Um, and in my synopsis, I said it several times, but technically it's not actually in the book. Um, I kept saying that they removed the Zor energy from his head so that he would then not see the ghosts. Oh, yeah. Um, they don't actually say that. No. So, but is that what you but, also got from it? Well, Jordy does say something about being able to attenuate the effect or whatever to keep him still alive. Right. Uh, and, um, but and, exactly how he – he didn't talk about the details. So if he sets up, would he suddenly he start seeing the ghost again? Or does he have to – is it always around his head? I, I almost wish they would have put like some sort of – helmet on him or something you know or somehow illustrate that this is the part of the area that the zor energy is being pushed away from oh as opposed to him just laying there and it looks like normal right and then so if he sets up or if he rolls over does he suddenly start seeing him again Uh, i don't know man (laughs) i don't know all right they're just so far they're going to go to explaining all this stuff well then don't don't establish it as being super complicated if you can't also explain all of it at all to to fanboys that want to know the whole thing. Yeah, you you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> okay, anyway. so uh, I I will predict that Picard is going to disappear next, or or soon anyway in the coming issues. So another Zor effect is going to happen. Picard's going to go missing. And he's going to be in the other dimension. I think that's a fair guess. And that's how somehow he's coming back in time to uh, what's-his-face. Yeah, I'm going to have lots of uh, questions about how the time travel works. Yeah, I don't don't blame you. I don't blame you. But I'll wait until I actually see it before I start complaining. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Well, well, there's one more thing I just want to mention quickly. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. At the end of issue two, there's all kinds of cool little ads and stuff. 
So we see our Deep Space Nine Fool's Gold number one ad. And then there's um, there's some kind of Angel comic ad. Yeah, uh, for the uh, annual. There you go. And then, uh, well, yeah, the, well, there's, for the annual. Okay. Yeah, so there's two different pages. The first one looks like normal Angel, and it says, for your consideration. And then the next page says Angel Annual, and it's got characters that were seen before. Is that supposed to be Angel? The guy no. in the middle? I don't think so. Okay. Because they're definitely people I don't recognize. Although I will say that the that the heavy guy with the patch over his eye looks like the guy from Lost. Exactly. <laughs> is that that is that on purpose? I don't know. I never watched Angel, but uh, I'm pretty sure. Well, I watched Angel, and they didn't have these characters. Oh, really? No. Yeah, I'm reading it on the PDF, which I think you are too. I uh, am. So I don't know, but uh, probably in the book itself, this was just a two-page ad. Right. So I think it's supposed to be the same ad. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Okay. So okay. So the first page is the original characters from the TV show, and the next page is the kind of continuity that the comic books do. Yeah, maybe it's an alternate reality. I don't know. Maybe. I, I've never read it. Because the shirt and jacket looks like something, you know, Angel would have wore. But the guy's face, that is not it. That's not Barala or whatever the guy Oh, is. okay. Uh, the, uh, what? All right, so it says, when, L- when L.A. went to hell in After the Fall, so did thousands of screenwriters, one of whom wrote a movie based on Angel's existence or experiences there. The oh. first ever, ever annual, Angel Annual Since presents the adaptation. adaptation of the... So it's supposed to be... Uh, Different actors? A, well, it's supposed to be like a movie within a movie kind of thing. You know, so this angel is what really happened, you know, but then the other ones is how they depicted those events in a movie. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, so that's pretty cool. And then uh, the original Johnson. Never heard of that one. Um, yeah, some and looks like it's supposed to be a true life boxer, but I don't know the story. I don't yeah. know which Johnson it is. And then Ghostbusters. Past, present, and future. Interesting. Yeah, a little uh, Ichabod Crane in the Ghostbusters mashup. Nice. Oh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> so, Ichabod Crane or Bob Cratchit or... Oh, oh, sorry, not Ichabod. Scrooge. I meant to say... Oh, Eb- Scrooge. Scrooge. Okay, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. Um, That looks interesting. Uh, anyway, so I, I'm just kind of mentioning it. There's more. Um, Those IDW Ghostbuster books are actually pretty good. Are the they? ones I've read. I haven't read a lot of them, but the ones I did read, I enjoyed. Cool. They recently did a, a Ghostbusters Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover, which I'm really curious on reading. Right. And then they, after that, they followed it up with a Ghostbusters, or not a Ghostbusters, a Batman and Turtles crossover, which I'm interested in reading that one, too. Cool. Well, they mustn't have had the likeness rights, because these people do not look like Bill Murray and the other actors. The Ghostbusters? No, they don't. Right, right. Yeah, uh, every... every uh, Comic book adaptation of Ghostbusters, they've never looked like the actors. Right. Okay. Cool. A lot okay. of times they'll make the uh, the comic book characters look more like the um, the real Ghostbusters animation. Oh, the animated series? Yeah. Yeah. Which also didn't really look like the, the actors at all. Right. Okay. All right. Well, 
next week, we are going to be doing the last three issues of Star Trek Next Generation Ghosts. Cool. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully some of these questions will be answered. Yes, wouldn't that be good? To our satisfaction. Damn it, because we need to know every detail. And it's got to fit with every Star Trek franchise that might have gone before it. Or after. Or after. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks right. for joining us, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.